Welcome to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity for us to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth seeking. I am your host today, Dina Rao. And for episode 21, we're going to discuss the world of conventions and congresses and conferences. Oh, my. So I have a couple of great people here to have this conversation with, starting with myself from a creative standpoint. I am a group copy supervisor. I've been in McCann for about six years, and I'm looking around the virtual room, and I'm going to throw to Alana Lemon to uh, start our introductions with just your name, department, and maybe a conference or two that you've worked on. Hi there, I'm Lana Lemon. I'm group art supervisor. I've been here also about six years and I have attended NASPGAN and AASLD recently and I've prepared for other AAN, EAN <laughs> and some other conferences that I cannot remember the acronyms for. <laughs> yes, plenty of acronyms. Thank you, Lemon. Estelle, why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit? Hi, my name is Estelle Rodriguez, and I'm part of the scientific strategy team. And I recently had the opportunity to attend CHEST, which is the annual convention of the American College of CHEST Physicians. And this year it was in Nashville. Nice. Okay, cool. What about you, Megan? Hey, I'm Megan Aliccio. I've been working at McCann for about four years, and I'm on the account side. I actually attended my first Congress this year, um, was NASPGAN in Orlando, Florida, and it was very fun. I love having new experiences, so we're definitely going to talk about those as well. Natalie, what about you? Hi, my name is Natalie Mercer. I'm the director of strategy here at McCann. Been here about two years, and I was recently at CHEST as well with Estelle. And then lastly, I believe Heather. I am Heather Canova. I'm a group art soup. I've been at McCann for a little over nine years, and I've worked on quite a few brands that have done conventions. A few years, we were at the American College of Gastroenterology, and we also worked on a couple of epilepsy medications and went to those conferences as well. Great range of conference experience. And personally, my experience is largely focused on ASH and ASCO, some oncology and hematology conferences. And just to set the stage, when we're talking about conferences and conventions and whatever term you might hear, we're talking about live and or virtual gatherings where new data is presented or campaigns might be debuted. And our brands basically have an opportunity to engage directly with their audiences, typically in a booth that we are responsible for designing. And as a foundation to this conversation, I just want to cover off on some statistics and some ideas that kind of set the stage for McCann's presence at conferences. So we do about six to 10 Congresses a year. And this represents a global audience in the hundreds of thousands. You know, example, ASH in 2019 had an attendance of about 30,000 people. Likewise, ASCO had about 37,000, I believe. And for each of those boots, we do about 10 to 20 tactics, whether it's the fabric on the walls, the 10-foot screens, the elevator clings in the lobbies, or even drops at the hotel, VR, live artists. So we do so many different things that it represents a huge chunk of our business. So as an introduction, I would love to, Lana or Megan, you said you also had your first experience at a conference. I would love to start with that experience. Lana, maybe if you could discuss some of the buildup to that first experience or maybe the tactic that left the biggest impression on you, just to open our conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we had been planning for this for about two and a half years now because we were not expecting how much COVID would impact Mm -hmm. our Congress. So we had actually built this up. We had launched our brand and it's a really fun brand. We had some illustrations and stuff that we could utilize. And there was a lot of heart around, you know, having games or having something that was immersive, but we quickly turned virtual. We went to do it the following year. And once again, we turned virtual. So this was the first year we were actually able to go and do something in person. So first of all, we were just really excited to be there, period, and have a big presence. But for our unbranded side, we were actually able to do a virtual reality experience and actually set up the booth space to feel like a nursery, which felt very intimate, which we found that was very different from everywhere else. A lot of places are very open and this was more enclosed, so that felt different. And then our other side for the branded, it was just very different because we made it feel very childlike and very welcoming. So it kind of was like the polar opposite to our unbranded side. So it was just really exciting to see like, you know, people interacting with the space. And that was just so rewarding to actually see doctors come in, their excitement of just interacting with pieces and even seeing some doctors cry, which was a good thing. (laughs) We wanted that. We wanted them to empathize with our story that we were trying to tell. So it was very rewarding to see that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Megan, do you have any insights into that as well? Kind of seeing the physicians interacting with the work that you helped on? Yeah, just to add to that, I went to the same Congress that Lana was just talking about. And it was just really cool to see everything come to life. You know, we had been preparing for this for so long. Our clients were so excited to go and to see everything in person. And the reactions to the booth, like everybody was just so happy and it was so cool. We had a lot of doctors coming over to the VR side of the booth, you know, just really wanting to see what this VR experience was all about. Even when we were kind of walking around in the posters area, we heard a couple of doctors say, where's the VR experience? Where is that? And we were like, oh, it's at Booth over here. So it was just really cool to kind of see everybody engage with something that you really put your heart into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And finally see it pay off. That's awesome. Heather, I'm curious if similarly, you know, seeing that kind of work come to life, have you seen um, something that a competitor has maybe done that left a large impression on you? Yes, I when I was at ACG, I mean, there were was this booth, it was very large, and they had it in quadrants, so that it was like a little mini golf. So it, I guess they were dipping into what do these doctors like to do in their downtime? And mm-hmm. I guess golfing is very popular. So they kind of fed into that. And I mean, there was a line of people waiting to do this little mini golf. And, you know, they were, they had little sculptures in the little mini golf that showed people who were experiencing different side effects of having Crohn's. And it was educational throughout and people wanted to play. And it was also beautifully done they made it look like it was out you were because because you're in a big congress there's no windows it's you know it's very expansive and they made it really cute and almost looking like you were in a park with trees and park benches and places to sit so i think it's successful when you have physicians that want to experience your booth have fun when they're in the booth and leave with the impression and a memory of that experience and what that brand is trying to communicate. That's awesome. I love where we're starting out. So we're starting out with virtual reality and golf. 
stuff that at least sounds like a lot of fun. But I guess when we take it back, when we're first starting this kind of convention work, and maybe Natalie, you can speak to a little bit about the strategic priorities. Where do we start from our kickoff and, and we end up with a golf output? Let's say like when we're, when we're starting this convention work, what are some of the first questions you might have or your department's priorities? Sure. I think even before that, you have to go back to what is your brand or your business strategy for mm-hmm. that year? Always bringing it back to what the strategic imperative is or your sub strategies. I think that just grounds everyone and makes sure that every tactic, every sponsorship, every asset that is developed is grounded strategically. So the golf execution, I think that's so cool. But there was some strategy, there was a truth behind that, that physicians like playing golf in their spare time. So I think always grounding back to, you know, what's the brand, what's the business, customer insights as well. But for us, even when it starts to brief development, you know, what's the objective and what type of behavioral objective? What do we want to do with the impact there? It really starts back from more of the strategic creation and then how do you pull it through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point because you need to make sure we're starting from a from a place that makes sense, right? Even if we want a, a cool output, we need to make sure it, it makes sense for the brand. Megan, how do you think that having these different perspectives across the department, you know, as a as a business um, leadership representative, you know, you have your creative, you have your strat, you have your science. How do these different perspectives, you know, work together during asset development? I think it's so key to have everybody come together to have an initial brainstorm, right? Like Natalie said, we really need our strategic partners there to help make sure that any ideas that we come up with are staying on strategy and that it really makes sense. I love my creative friends, but they have some crazy ideas (laughs) and they're always super fun, but it is important to have everybody there just to make sure that when we present these ideas to the clients, like, yes, they're super creative. They're really fun. They're going to engage HCPs and everybody to come to the booth, but really that it makes sense too. It makes sense to where they're really focusing on for the year. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'll jump a little bit. Heather or Lana, feel free to speak to this, but I'm curious, how how would you explain how one should shepherd a big idea from inception to, you know, convention? Like Megan said, we we do sometimes have some crazy ideas, but we know that they could work or they could be really cool. So how would you, I guess, like Heather, recommend having this big idea and actually making it happen? Like Megan said, I really do feel like it's a team effort, right? You have to have science behind it. You have to have, you're kind of ticking off all these boxes. You want to make sure that, listen, these physicians are being inundated with all this messaging, but when they come to our booth, this is what we want them to take away and not muddle that messaging. So making sure that there's a clear message that we want those physicians to take Mm -hmm. away And we also, we want them to be engaged. A lot of times we'll show case studies. Hey, you know what? Nike did this great experience and it was very successful. I think showing some case studies on how some of the tactics worked for other brands is really helpful in selling through some kind of kooky, crazy ideas that they might not want to go towards right away. Mm -hmm. It's also kind of like how we concept too. 
it's like when you have the idea, it's like, okay, is, is it disruptive? So is it going to look different enough from everybody else? Do we think that it's going to be different? Is it campaignable? So, you know, cool, this is your booth draw, but like, how does that work with your drivers? Like, can you also have it be a cool piece that's, you know, a rotating video that brings you to the booth or your escalator clings or your door drops, all, all these things. Like there's a couple facets to it to make your idea bulletproof and really roll it out to make it successful as well. And obviously having it strategically sound is <laughs> the most important part of that. Mm-hmm. You're creating a whole ecosystem, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. I think something interesting you said, Lana, is campaignable. So a lot of times we create these things for Congresses, but also do they have legs? Like, can we use them somewhere else throughout the year? And I think that's something that's interesting too. Like, can it go on your website after, or can you use it at a different event? So sometimes the ideas are thought of just for Congresses, but they can be used elsewhere. And I know that a lot of times when we present that idea to clients, they love that. They're like, yeah, let's, let's do this big splash here and roll it out in other places. And that's mm-hmm. how you get a better budget. <laughs> or even <There> you go. <laughs> how can you engage outside of the Congress walls too? We saw hotel key cards that were branded. If you're in a city, how can you incorporate themes of the city into your booth? But just thinking holistically too, um, you know, connective tissues between different Congresses that year. So it's it's more than just that one. You know, those those few days or those few times, how can you expand outwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing the long game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's a great point of this campaignability and I, I feel like an idea of scalability because maybe we're doing a large conference like Ash and I know some of the work that I've done previously, um, we've thought of it as modular, right? Because maybe we have a large booth here, but we have a smaller satellite booth or Congress in April or something. So we'll take parts of that. So we make sure that even though we're doing a big splash, maybe one month in the next month, we can still continue the ripples. Estelle, I want to jump to what it's like to be attending a conference. So obviously we have all of this buildup, all of this work and effort to get to the conference and asset development. But once we're actually there, how does your perspective change when you're actually attending a conference? So this was my first conference attending in person. I had done several other virtual conferences in my in my previous life as a medical writer for Medcom, and it was a whole new experience for me. Before the, the convention, what I usually focus on is reviewing all the presentations and abstracts that are relevant to our disease state and what data from competitors is being presented, right? So I'm just on my computer spending hours on and just reviewing everything and trying to identify what's relevant to us. But then when I'm there at the convention, it is overwhelming in a great sense. I had never seen booths before and the grandiosity of them. I didn't know how all the booths are so close to each other, but then you you have that competition, right, from the other companies and you have this great audience of doctors that are just there eager to see. The excitement to me was amazing. The first day that the exhibit center opened, there were hundreds of people just waiting for those doors to be open. So to me, that I'm coming from science and reading abstracts and papers, it was a great opportunity to put the personal touch that people bring to the conference. So 
at the same time that it was really exciting to be at the exhibition center, I had to go and attend those sessions that I had marked up from the clients and for our team, right? So sit there and listening to doctors talking and see how the other doctors are receiving that data. That was a, an eye-opening experience. I loved it. And I have to say, I had been a medical writer for 10 years. And in those 10 years, I had been dreading conferences. I touched every bullet that I could, and I am so happy that I finally got to see what it is about because I'm ready to go for the next one. Mm -hmm. Because it was exciting, right, to see the things that you had been researching about and then seeing how they were actually received by that audience. (laughs) Yes, uh, for Mm -hmm. sure. When you read all those abstracts and and the sessions, right, it's just not the same. You get the whole idea of what they're going to talk about. But then when you're attending those conferences and sessions, you get a lot more data that they're not including in the abstract, right? So you have to take notes and be ready because at the end of the day, my main job there is look at what data is being presented and then create an output report. So Mm -hmm. there is a lot of moving parts from my perspective, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. The output report about more than just the boots, but the data that was actually presented and what that means moving forward. Megan, when it comes to having presence at the conferences themselves, what's the value in having kind of multiple perspectives there, you know, about having a creative perspective, about having a science perspective or the business leadership and account from yourself? Yeah, I think it's super important to have, you know, somebody from each discipline there. And for business leaders, I know it's great just to see from a client side how they interact at the booth, what they think is working. It's kind of nice to walk the actual floor with them, too, to see if anything else kind of grabs their attention because you kind of think, oh, maybe there's something we can do next year that, you know, not to copy an idea, but just to kind of get different ideas to see what they like and what is intriguing them. I think it's great also to have your scientific lead there. I have never been to a Congress before. So walking the posters, that was so eye-opening to me and kind of having our science lead just talk through some of the different data that's there and why some of it is relevant to us. And then seeing that come through in the output report and explaining that to the larger team that wasn't able to attend the Congress, I think it's super impactful to have that because it's just really great data that one, we might be able to use, or we can also see just what our competitors are putting out there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've uh, definitely seen creative that stems from the data itself, right? You know, like when you showcase the numbers in the concept or create a tactic around those, right? Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I love also walking the floor with our creative team because they point out things that I probably wouldn't see if I wasn't walking with them. So it is cool just to kind of see everybody's different perspectives and what their eye kind of goes to during the Congress. Mm -hmm. It's nice to get that full sensory experience too. Like I feel like you see pictures of Congresses, but like Estelle said, until you're actually standing there surrounded by it all, it's everything from the lighting that is used in each booth. You know, that makes such a huge difference. Is it cold? Is it warm? You know, are there certain sections that are lit in a specific way from the sound to the food? You know, that's a big draw. At least it used to be, um, you know, what food are you going to have the booth and and how that kind of played into the concept and the idea. I feel like it's such a full sensory experience that unless you're there, you don't get to see what that's like. Mm-hmm. I think it's an also nice frame of reference for clients and agency partners to see how 
other companies are able to maximize their space, whether it's the wall between the Metafairs booth and the commercial booth, or how can you leverage the floor? Can you have some type of ambient lighting from above that puts your brand logo? So seeing how other companies are able to leverage the space, but also it's a good frame of reference, specifically for companies who may be a little bit more risk adverse to see how others are presenting ISI or how they interpret ISI or other claims. So I thought that was a good experience for us as well. Mm -hmm. And going back to your point about, you know, why is it important to have multiple perspectives at the conference, right? Even though we all have our, our main objectives there to achieve, to me, it's super important, especially after having lived it with Natalie going to chest and then our account lead, Kristen Sherman. I saw how important it is to have a holistic approach to conferences, right? We all have very specific jobs to do, but we cannot do it in isolation. It's important that, and actually this was my favorite part of those three days, right? Every time we walk around the exhibit center, all three of us together and discussing what we saw and make it a dynamic discussion, you know, that to me, that's where I got the most out of it. That team effort that we were talking about, that it's required ahead of the convention, it's still needed at the convention and then after. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel like the, I hate this term, synergy, (laughs) Um, but there's, (laughs) it just sounds like the truest version of it is that having these individual parts really combines to something greater, right? Because you can understand the data or you can see the creative execution, but when you take the value of the data and you combine that with a creative Mm -hmm. like strat that makes sense you can have something like truly impressive that's awesome i would like to circle back to something i think heather that you brought up and and that was the food and i have only been to one congress but i will also agree that from what i saw food is king and personally what i saw work and what i would testify worked was some paninis and uh, mocktail <laughs> mojitos. So I would like to throw out to the room, to the virtual room, Heather starting, what is either the food that you want to see at a conference or one that you saw work very well? Something that smelt very good. I think one booth had like baked cookies and like the smell was just so enticing. And then somebody else had a popcorn machine and that, you know, we're anywhere, I think especially now, where people are very, you know, want everything sanitized and personal, anything that could be put into a little cup or something that they could walk around with and not make a mess. I think that was too, something they could take and keep walking and experience things, nothing too drippy, messy, saucy. So the panini is definitely interesting that you chose that. (laughs) But I think like candy, cookies, snacks, um, and, and I think a lot of times now people want something healthy, but still good too. So anything like that. Portable. Portable is key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point because that also provides an opportunity to put it in a cup that has a a branding or a a logo or something on it. So when people are walking around with it, you can see, oh, where's that booth? We even had in one of our booths a little taking that into consideration that people would have a drink or some sort of food. We had a place for them to set those things down while they experienced the booth. So we made sure there was a cup holder or a little uh, table or tray for them to put their things down because they usually have a laptop and a purse and all of these things. It's hard for them to participate in some of the action at the booth if they have their hands full. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, the actual user experience of it. Yeah. Uh, Megan or Alana, were you going to say something? 
Yeah, our booth, it's a pediatric indication. And uh, we leaned into that by having ice cream. And that was like a huge hit. Like everybody was coming. We, we all screamed for ice cream and it was it definitely <laughs> showed. Um, and we had some good ice cream too. I'm not, I'm not talking about that school lunch ice cream. I'm talking name brand. <laughs> so that definitely got people like for all the congresses that we were at to get people to come. I know that in another booth, personally, I immediately saw Mochina donuts and I was like, what? <laughs> there was a line there. I was not the only one that was excited by Mochina. I think people are also just really drawn to things that maybe they haven't tried, but they wanted to try. And this is their opportunity to do something a little more niche. I thought that also had a big line. And then like Heather said, there was also smoothies and it was nice to have one, a cold option because a lot of people do have coffee and a lot of times the conference itself will have coffee. So it's nice to have like another option there. And it being a little bit healthier too was also nice, a nice break. Mm-hmm. I would say also, you know, never underestimate a cappuccino or a good macchiato. We had this fancy yes. espresso machine <laughs> and people lined up around the corner for that. And it we was also coffee. It was exceptional <laughs> coffee. <laughs> There was something that I saw speaking of coffee where it wasn't at the Congress I attended, but they had somebody who would give you coffee, but they would actually like draw your face in the coffee and people were lined up for it. It was almost like a coffee artist. It was super cool. I mean, just something a little different because I know everybody wants coffee, but it almost makes you not want to drink it because, you know, (laughs) you're drinking away this really pretty drawing. (laughs) It does make you want to share it on your social media. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Love it. It feels, um, I was going to say manipulative, but let's call it strategic in the sense. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, that's a great point, Megan, about the coffee art, because I guess when I think about that, that reminds me of live booth draws. When I went to Ash, I remember seeing a paper artist, someone creating a mural just out of paper with an X-Acto knife over the course of a couple of days or a sand artist or a roller coaster simulator or something like that. But I know we have some experience in virtual reality here. So I wonder if Megan or Lana or Heather with some of the digital that you've done, if one of you wants to speak a little bit about the virtual reality work that you've done recently. So ours was a very expedited process. I think we did it in... Megan, correct me if I'm wrong, like four months, maybe. <laughs> it was I believe very, you're right. <laughs> yeah, which wasn't our intention, but you know, we proposed it at one point for the year and the client wanted it sooner and we were able to make it happen. And this is from literally shooting it to all the edits that we had and then just making it usable for both the Oculus and on YouTube, which is great. But the actual process of it is like, you know, going through the idea. Then we have to go through casting, you know, because we weren't using an actual patient. We're using an actor. And, you know, once again, our brand is in pediatrics. So that's also harder working with an actor that's that young, but also trying to show all the nuances of living with the disease. Like we have to work with MLR to make sure we're not overpromising. But how do you balance that with making a captivating story? Like the whole point of being in the VR experience is to immerse the viewer into feeling, you know, empathy for how these people live day to day, how to feel bad for the one with the disease, but also how to feel bad for the family that's affected by it. And that story is very hard when you have med, legal and regulatory (laughs) breathing down your neck of what you can and can't say. So it's a balancing act with them and the clients. But 
we were able to get that story there, still making it heartfelt. And a lot of it's like, you know, with the sound, like heart beating, blinking, even just like rapid breath, internal thoughts, like all those things that we added in together and working with the client and the regulatory team, we were still able to get a captivating story that literally, you know, made people feel uncomfortable and to the point where somebody says, I got to call my patient right now. I've said this to them. So that's where we ended up after months of working through this video. And I think something that's helpful with having virtual reality at the conference is having that external screen so that people passing by can see a little bit of what that user is experiencing. And then they're like, that makes them want to participate as well. I think sometimes there's some hesitancy, like, I don't know what I'm going to put that on. What am I seeing? But when you get a little bit of seeing like what that is, it's very enticing. And I know for, you know, some brands who want to use virtual reality, but they're not, you have to have a certain amount of space around the user or else they could hit somebody, right? Your, your arms are moving, you're kind of using this space. So for one of the conventions we did, in order to make it a smaller space, we created this Jeep, the back of a Jeep that kind of came out from the wall and it had a little bench. And the user sat on the bench with the goggles on and they looked around and they were they were in the woods and they were on this Jeep ride, but we were able to contain them to a certain area. And that was really, really helpful for us to have VR in a booth that didn't have a lot of space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's a great example of that kind of adaptability and scalability we, we discussed earlier. Like we have this great idea, but how do we make it work within this space? And a lot of you mentioned your VR experience took about four months, which to me sounds insane. But when you think about <laughs> some of the details of VR, like how much visibility do you have, right? Is it 180 degrees or is it 360 degrees? Is it unbranded or is it branded? Do we need fair balance? Like those are the kind of things, right, that were taken into consideration that took only three months versus maybe a, a year's timeline. That would be more typical, right? Yeah, your timeline is definitely much more typical. I mean, ours was 180. And some of these things, like you just mentioned, those specifications, we had to go back and forth on just to make it fit the timeline because we were aiming mm. for this specific Congress. So we're like, there's certain things like the length of the video or certain things that we could try to push MLR to say, like, you know, this is more approvable. Like, we're not going to get a lot of pushback if we go this route. Ours was unbranded and, you know, mainly because of the things that we'd be able to say, but like that all was a part of like the timeline where like there's mm -hmm. certain things you can try to push for and like get there if you have some time to push for it. But if timing is breathing down your neck, then you have to make some sacrifices in order to get it there. And it's just the matter of like our team being able to find out what's worth sacrificing and what's not worth sacrificing. Mm hmm. And then that goes back to, you know, Natalie and Estelle, like the things that you're saying in terms of strategy, right? When we have to cut some of the creative flourish, what at the core is the strategy, right? Exactly. It's, you know, what are the must-haves? What are the items that we're willing to go to bat for? Because it's a process and it can be a challenge when people have, you know, different perspectives or different levels of how risk when it comes into play. So I think always grounding back and making sure that it's grounded in your strategic imperative for that year. And what is your behavioral objective? Are you trying to sell product or are you trying to bring awareness to a specific disease state? Are we trying to highlight our portfolio? Are we trying to highlight our suite of solutions that we offer to HCP? So making sure that there is consensus and alignment from the beginning. 
And I guess I'll transition slightly into a little bit more about timing, because we know these conventions and these conferences happen at a certain time pretty much every year, right? But it always feels like we're only starting maybe a few months ahead of time. So I'm curious, maybe Megan, if you can start us, when do you think we should be starting convention work, ideally? And when do we often start it? <laughs> that is a great question. I feel like it's important to really talk with your clients just to kind of map out exactly what Congress they're attending, what kind of presence they're looking to have, and what type of booth space they have available. That will really help determine, okay, you know, if you have a 10 by 10 space or if you have a 10 by 30 space or something much larger, you know, it kind of helps you prepare. I would say maybe about like six to eight months before your big Congress, I think would be good to have your initial brainstorms, get your ideas together and really start fleshing them out. That's in an ideal world, I think. But sometimes, you know, like this VR experience, we had talked about doing this VR experience. And then the clients were like, yeah, it's a great idea. And then it got kind of put on the back burner. And then out of nowhere, they were like, we need to do this for this Congress in a couple of months. And they're like, okay, you know, all hands on deck. What do we need to do to kind of prepare for this? So even sometimes when you think you're ahead of the game, things like that come up and you just have to pivot and really try and, you know, make things work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the output at the conference is so closely tied to the timing, right? What's possible within this time frame, really as much time as possible means, I feel like that inherently lends itself to the quality of booth, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even on our branded side of the booth, I think we went through probably three or four different <laughs> ideas. We started with this really awesome game. And then, you know, due to timing and budget, we realized, okay, this is not going to work. So we then had to pivot. And I think we tried to do some sort of other like scaled down game. And then we're like, okay, we need to pivot again because we don't have enough time. So we ended up doing a really awesome by the numbers video. And that mm -hmm. got a lot of attraction. It was on a huge screen, really highlighted the brand's numbers and key data points. And, you know, it was a really beautiful video. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. Yeah, you got to be adaptable, right? There's always something new that's going to change the, the timing or new feedback or what the competitor is doing. That means that we have to be adaptable. Yeah. And speaking to adaptability, I mean, I know we're largely focusing on live conferences because that's where the bread and butter has always been. But you know, I think there was this COVID thing that happened recently, and it's kind of impacted <laughs> how we live our daily lives, including conferences, right? So the adaptability around COVID. Natalie or Heather, can you speak to how we've had to adapt our conference approach given the world of COVID? I would say... This was my first live Congress since 2016 at ASH. And honestly, I don't even remember what pre-COVID life was like when it comes to Congresses. I would say it's, you know, being flexible and nimble when it comes to, you know, how we're presenting ourselves. And maybe it's not so much asset development but an understanding of our target audience. So for instance, at CHEST, these were pulmonologists and critical care physicians who were on the front line during the peak COVID. So there was a lot of activity for them specifically. There was a wellness zone. There were chats around everything from avoiding imposter syndrome to managing work-life balance. So I think that was a key indicator that 
you know, how can we as a brand, as a company provide support and experiences for these physicians just because they've been through a lot too. So thinking through their lens and, you know, living in their shoes. I know that wasn't a clear answer to your question, but more from the well, human lens. Point. That's actually something that I figured was happening that, you know, respiratory or critical care physicians were probably even more aware of, of COVID implications and especially even live. I mean, honestly, I was thinking of virtual and how we've had to adapt that way. <laughs> I think making a lot more assets available for download, like from a virtual booth standpoint, and even follow-up materials, like maybe you weren't able to go to ASCO or one of these conventions, but this is what you might have missed, you know, and making them feel like, you know, it's important for you to keep yourself healthy. Maybe they are scared to go because they don't want to get their patients sick, but they still want the most up-to-date information, the latest data, and to experience it maybe from the safety of their own home or office. So I think making those materials available after the conference and messaging them in that way, and maybe even having the reps deliver some of the booth materials could be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I will say that at least having the digital approach, all of that is measurable, right? Like how many people attended, how many people downloaded this asset, whereas how many people walked into your booth and saw a video might be a little bit harder. I have seen heat mapping to see how much traffic your booth got. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that. That's usually something I know like the booth vendors supply, right? That's part of their contract is this is what we could provide to you. We have this technology. We could tell you afterwards how many people were going to this booth and that booth and how long they stayed at this booth and badge mm -hmm. scan, like everything from heat mapping to badge scanning. And they give you almost a little output report, but that's usually part of the convention vendor and, and the support that they supply. Amazing. Yeah. So everything is measurable so we can really see the impact, whether live or virtual that our work has. One thing that's different, though, between like the in-person and virtual space, it's kind of like when you're in person, you're measuring like how many people do you get to go to your booth? Whereas on virtual, I feel like it's how many people can you retain? How long can you keep them there? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like captive, but that's really what you're trying to do, because like, are there different things that they can see that can have them on your page in your virtual booth for longer to get the message that you want? Because you don't have that same guidance that you do of a RAM walking you through the different highlights, the different core messages of your booth. Like, you're just hoping that they stay on long enough to retain the message that you want. Um, so I thought that that was one thing that's like a little difference, a nuance between virtual and live. Yeah, you mm -hmm. can't multitask in person. If a sales rep or someone is talking to you, you're not going to be hopefully looking at your phone. Whereas if you're engaging online, a hybrid environment or on your computer, you may be multitasking and not paying full attention. Mm -hmm. And I guess even beyond the conference experience itself, Estelle, I guess I'm curious, has COVID significantly impacted kind of the data releases that we expect to see at some of these conferences? I feel like maybe here and there I've heard of delays of trial outputs and whatnot because COVID had an impact on a clinical trial. 
That is correct. When we look mm -hmm. at the patient population that most of these drugs, you know, are uh, administered on, these are elderly, sick people, right? And they already have a ton of comorbidities. And then on top of it, you have to bring them to the hospital or, you know, have these visits for clinical trials. And, and I know from other brands that I've worked on that COVID impacted a lot of it. And it actually had to force the companies to come up with alternate protocols, right, to accommodate for people that couldn't get to their clinical trial facility. So yeah, for sure, it has affected the way clinical trials are done and how often that data is released and whether a clinical trial achieves the recruitment goal for, mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. Natalie, I think you mentioned that you couldn't, you couldn't remember a pre-COVID time uh, at conventions. Do you think that COVID is going to have a lasting impact on the way we approach our conventions? Or do you think that perhaps we're recovering a little to a pre-COVID mentality? I think having, I think as Heather was saying, you know, the elements of being able to have content that can live across platforms and mediums, mm -hmm. whether it's in person, whether it's, you know, how you how you engage with content. But I do feel that people were really craving the human connection. And it's even just from the attendance of this Congress was my day to day for those three days when I was in Nashville. It's just a different type of work. You know, you're not on a screen all day with meetings where you can pause, leave a team's call and, you know, take a breath and go get some water. Whereas when you're in a Congress setting, it's just nonstop. You know, it's, it's a little overstimulation, I would say. I mean, we took naps at the end of the day before we had to go out to client dinners. You feel a little less productive. I was like, oh, I'm not, you know, looking at decks all day. I'm not on all these calls, but it's a different type of work, I think, for everyone, physicians and for clients and agency partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because just because you're not sitting in front of a computer doesn't mean there's not things to be done or your brain isn't on, right? Because you're taking in data, you're taking in formats, and you're still on, right? You're still working. Exactly. It's a different type of work. And I'm sure for physicians, too, whether they're key opinion leaders or they're clinicians who treat patients, you know, this is different for them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll probably have to kind of consider what we can do live and make an impression. How do we get people in the booth? But in the same vein, always keeping in our mind, how do we leverage this digitally? How do we keep people, you know, in a digital space as opposed to just getting them into a live space? Right? <laughs> yeah. And we had, you know, a Congress app that every time you would go to open it to see when the next session is, you would get an ad from one of the brands that had a, a big presence there. So it was constantly on your mind every time you had to open that app. Mm -hmm. So to begin closing the discussion, I do want to maybe do a quick round robin. Uh, and Heather, we can start with you because I, I know you have a lot of like creative experience with conventions, but given all of your experience, is there something that you would like to see improve about them or change slightly about conventions or even our approach to them? Yes, I think we, you know, we think of doctors as we always say they are people too, right? They're mothers, they're fathers, they're gamers, they're golfers. I think always taking that into consideration and don't always think that it has to be a clinical setting and they want they want it clinical and 
they want some warmth. They want some humor. They want some fun. And I think if you bring that in in a smart way that also gets your message across, that's truly success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think always making sure that you you take that into consideration when you're developing your ideas. Like, what do you like to do? I think wherever you go, if you go to a carnival or you go to the auto show or Comic Con or the mall, you know, even something as simple as the mall. How did you have fun at those places? What are games that you like to play? What do your kids like to play? What video games are they interested in? And what's successful about those things? And then bring that into the pharma space. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You know, adding humanity to it. It's not just cool for cool's sake. It's engagement. It's real. It's connecting them on a human level. Exactly. Anything you love to do or your kids love to do or mm-hmm. that you have fun interacting with, these physicians are going to as well. And and if they could be competitive, even better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll bring out the competitive side of people. It's as personally, I know my ugliest side, but my strongest. <laughs> Lana, with all the work that you've done on conventions, is there something that you would want to see maybe improved or changed about them? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I guess the outside drivers, I always hear about it in people, we want to do it. And I've seen maybe like one thing at an airport before, but I feel like utilizing outside of space, however we can, would be Mm -hmm. like just a really cool element. Like, you know, whether that's in the transportation to the event or just like a park that's nearby, just breaking that space of it's not just within the walls of the Congress. I think that'd be the unexpected hit of like really driving your message home because it's kind of like when you're online with an ad, it's not just like that first ad, it's that you you get it now on your phone, you got it here. And then like all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I want to buy that thing. It's because you saw it so many times. Just remembering what you saw, it making your message really stick with the viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking beyond just the booth. Yeah. One more thing, Dina, for something that I wish was at booths more. And I mm-hmm. think that's bringing some emotionality. It's great to have fun, but bringing some emotion to it as well. I think everyone's always like, we got to show our MOA. We have to show our data, our charts. But what about the patient's experience? I think when a physician sees how this has impacted a patient's life and changed their life and made this huge impact, I feel like that in itself is so powerful. So if there's interesting ways to get that patient story and patient experience into the booth, mm-hmm. I think that's that's also really important. And I wish more brands did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, earlier we mentioned the VR experience made some doctors cry, I believe. And in our world, that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Megan, do you have any thoughts? Uh, What would you like to change or improve about your next convention? I don't know if it's necessarily about conventions in general, but I'm just listening Mm -hmm. to everybody here talk about all of their experiences and things that they've done. And I truly feel like we are only better when we share our own experience and learnings of what we've seen at conventions. So I feel like we as a team need to be better about sharing our output reports more broadly, Mm -hmm. right? You know, we had a great experience with VR, but Heather, it sounds like you also had an awesome experience working in VR and doing some other things that was really successful at your booth. So I feel like just the learnings and the outputs and sharing them more broadly can really just help enhance our experiences when developing assets Mm -hmm. for the conventions. 
Mm -hmm. maybe every quarter, you know, we get together and do a little lunch and learn what were some conventions that happened in the fall. And, you know, we could just share and have some photos from those conventions and share what worked, what didn't work. And, you know, a couple times a year, I think that'd be really helpful. Absolutely. Love that. Be the synergy. (laughs) Natalie, uh, do you have (laughs) any thoughts? I would say recognition and there were uh, quite a few panel discussions around health inequities and rare disease and climate change and women in pulmonary hypertension and these global issues that we see every day, how to infuse that in the Congress and not just raise awareness to it, but also how can we take action? How can we, with you know the most brilliant minds, organically ideate and come up with solutions? So how can we use that space to organically come together and ideate. Mm-hmm. Make an actual impact. Yeah. Yeah. And Estelle, do you have any, uh, do you have any closing thoughts about from the science side of things or even the creative execution goes along with them out of convention work? Yeah, it's actually a combination of both what you and Heather were saying, right? Bringing in the fun and the engagement mm-hmm. and making it memorable, but remembering that we have a big spectrum of HTPs, right? And people that may have five minutes to engage with us, but maybe someone that has 30 seconds. So when Mm -hmm. we bring those ideas, keep in mind that not everyone will fit the same bucket, right? You have to have something for someone that has 30 seconds, but then something that has a longer time of engagement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just the message that we're trying to get out there. It's how people are interacting with it, whether live or how much time or virtual. Yeah. Amazing. Guys, thank you so much for all of your insights and your time, your contributions, your ideas. I really appreciate it. I thought this conversation was great. Thank you, Dina. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much, Dina. Dina. That's all we've got for today. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice. And you can even let us know what you'd like to hear on a future episode by emailing podcast at mccannhealth.com. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice. And you can even let us know what you'd like to hear on a future episode by emailing podcast at mccannhealth.com. Truth Well Spoken is produced by Dina Ragoff, Dina Rao, Jason Frankowski, Melissa Kaczynski, and Cassidy Cardone. Until next time, I'm Dina Rao, and this has been Truth Well Spoken.